actually Philippians chapter 2. Let's just go there. Philippians chapter 2. Um, we've been, uh, we're going to move along now. We've been looking at Paul's love language. And uh, we started here in Philippians 2. And uh, we've been looking at the issue of, uh, of uh, Paul and how, and, and I called it the love language because it was February. You know, love, love you, Ari, as one of the guys said. I'm like, love you? Come on, really? It's February. But at, because of that, there, there's a, there, there is a wonderful thing in Paul's epistles all the way through where he talks about how we are to our relationships with one another and, and the fact that there, there's this wonderful tinge and a wonderful theme about how we are to be with one another. And it moves beyond just a husband-wife rela- uh, husband relationship. In those roles, we have roles and we play them and we do them but we're to come to that, Ephesians 5.18 says to be filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? And in that first three verses, 19, 20, and 21, he d- talks about you. And in verse 21, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And that issue of wanting uh, one anothering. And we started in Philippians 2 with the, really where this all starts, the introduction to it. In, in, in 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and um, we look at verse 6, 7, and 8, but I'd like you to draw your eye back up to verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, be ye that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. There, there's an attitude there. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And the mindset of the Godhead is that verse right there, verse 3. We're not going to have vainglory. We're not going to have strife. We're going to, in the lowliness of thinking, in the basic, the basic fundamentals of our thinking process, what are we going to do? We're going to esteem others better than themselves. And we started and we spent some time talking about the esteeming. And then we came over to, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. And, and again, so we did a kind of an introduction and then I went to the conclusion because of how 1 Timothy 1 5 says this. Now, the end of the commandment is what? Charity. But it's charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And we looked at those three there. And we, begin to, and we talked the last two times about charity. Now, you'll never do justice to charity in just two lessons, okay? But charity is where we're headed. It's fascinating that it's charity that is the, the 1 Corinthians 13, the faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. Paul tells the Corinthians, you've got knowledge that puffeth up, but charity edifieth. There's a thing about charity that is the end of the commandment. It's where we're headed. And it's the issue of godliness and and the fact that we are to have a God-like life being lived in your life, where you're at. You don't live my life. Praise the Lord. I'm glad for you. And I don't live your life. That's your, that's, but in those lives where you're living, where you're being husband, where you're being wife, where you're being family and parenting and children and raising children. You see that gaggle go out of here, raising those guys like herding cats, you know, it's like all over the place. And, and, and raising them and getting them here. And as you're doing that, you're to do it with this esteem and this issue of charity. By the way, on the back back there, I print, it's up in the, the thing there, there's a thing on charity and that, that, that I read you, it suffereth long. And what that means, it's there if you'd like it. And if we run out, just tell me, and I'll make some more copies. But the thing of it is, is that issue of charity. Colossians, he says, it's the bond of perfectness, perfectness, perfect, mature. So we looked at those marks of maturity, that work of faith, that labor of love, and that patience of hope, and how that works together. This morning, we're going to start with Walking toward one another. That's what I've entitled this. And again, it's part of the, we're going to begin to introduce the issue of the one anotherings of Paul. Um, There's 21 places that Paul talks about one another. He uses that phrase. Come over to Romans 2. If you have the handout, 
Uh, I think we're out of them. We can, I'll get you some more afterwards. If you're online, they're on the website and the front homepage. There's a link there to a PDF of these as well. Romans 2 verse 15 is the first place where Paul uses the term, the phrase, one another which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, that's not what we're going to talk about, okay? That'll come up in a thought process. But what I want you to do is come over to chapter 12 of Romans. Because the first one, and what we're going to do is we're going to walk down through these. We're not, by the way, there's 20 of them. We're not going to spend 20 weeks, okay? Thank the Lord, praise God. I can't, we can, but we're not going to. I'm going to kind of take them by epistle, if you will. That's why I kind of laid them out that way for you and just kind of look through them. Greet, each, greet one another with a holy kiss. And that's going to be just a little comment, move on, okay? <laughs> because that's what it says. But there's a thought behind it. There's an idea running underneath it that we need to see. And this morning, what I would like to do with you is just kind of introduce how these are used by Paul throughout all the epistles. He's got them in Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, none of them in Philippians, which is very interesting. Because in Philippians, what did we just read? Chapter 2. Let us let each us do what? Esteem. Highly. Value. Move that way. Then he's got it in Colossians and in Thessalonians, and then in Titus, he'll talk about a one anothering. It's very interesting. But look at 12, chapter 12, verse 10. Here's the first one in the list. As we think about this issue of moving toward each other and, 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 and the issue here of esteeming others better than themselves and having this mindset, really the mindset of the Godhead. How does a God view each other? How do they interact with each other? There's not a, I'm better than you and you're less than me. There's a, there's a mutual agreement of love and respect and, and so forth. But when the roles come in, think about that. Think about what this, here, here thought he was equal with God. Jesus Christ was who? God. That's who he is. He's equal with God. But what did he say? Not my will, but thy will. Father, you're, he took himself and became obedient and made himself. He, he said, I'm equal, but I'm going to choose to do something here. And that is esteem the word of the Father above my needs and wants. Well, what a mindset that we should have. Actually, Paul is expecting it of it, almost requiring it of you as we come down through here. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. See that issue of kindly affection one to another, honor preferring one another? Well, if you're going to prefer one another, what are you going to do? You're going to esteem them. That's why we started with esteem. You're going to look, by the way, he only uses that word esteem two times. He uses it in Philippians 2 and then over in 1 Thessalonians when he talks about esteeming those that are over you in the faith, in the local assembly, and, and, and thinking highly of them. So when we look at this issue here, it's very fascinating to me that 1210 is the first one of these phrase, one another, that comes together because of what is happening in Romans 12. And this one literally becomes the foundation of our walk towards each other, our interaction between each other. So let's look at the, this morning, chapter 12, look at verse 1. We're, we're not, again, we're not going to run a ton of verses. I just want to remind you of where we're at as we start talking about this issue of esteeming one another and thinking how we're to think about each other. By the way, let me just say this, I'll say it next time, and I'll say it several times. The context of a lot of these one anotherings is in a local assembly and how, it's, and how the local assembly is to operate and to function around each other. That's why the local assembly is so important and so vital. When he looks over there in Colossians and he says, forbear one another and forgive one another, if any man have a quarrel with any, that isn't you fighting with the gas attendant because it's $7 a gallon. That's not a quarrel. 
sorry, you're going to lose. The quarrel is in the local assembly. The argument is internal. There's a disagreement internal. How is that to be worked out? See, that's the point there. We'll get over there. Romans 12, look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Boy, what a context to get started in. As we begin to consider our activity, our walk in grace. And that's really what chapter 12 to 16 is going to do. 12 to 16 is going to give us the practical application of living and walking in grace in every detail of life that you and I come into contact with on a very generic, broad manner. The Apostle Paul never assumed that the age of grace would go on to the 21st century. He actually thought it was going to end with him and with his death until he got some stuff, a little further revelation that says, hey, you know, that's why he says, you guys know how to, you need to behave in the house of, you know how to behave yourselves in church because I'm leaving and you need to understand that. But think about this. I beseech you. I love that. Beseeching. The beseechment. That's, that, that's not a beg. I heard a guy say, oh, he's begging. No, he's not begging at all. He's rather, he's saying, based on everything that you just learned, based on the impact of the sound doctrine of 11 chapters of doctrine in your inner man, I'm asking you, not begging, I'm invoking a beseechment here. I'm, I'm saying, hey, look, come over here. Think about where you've been. You've been there. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to present yourself a living sacrifice. I'm going to, th- now think about that. What did we learn in the first five chapters of Romans? Romans 1 to 5. What did we learn? Are we all good? No, we learned none are righteous. We learned everybody, no matter who you are. On the spectrum of humanity, you're what? You're a sinner. And your end, they're having a good time over there, aren't they? Yeah, that's good to have the backyard. It's good to hear them out there, honestly, you know. You're a sinner. You got an issue. You need somebody. You need a Savior. And Paul lays out the issue of his gospel and the fact that through the cross work of Christ, He is able to give you and I eternal life. And then he's able, because of that activity at at Calvary, he's able to make us, and and he's able to, that thing about made made righteous, 2 Corinthians 5.21, made. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. He He took Christ and he made him into something he was never intended to be, and that was sin. He takes you and I who are, what, by nature's sinners, and then he moves us into something we were never to be in our sinfulness, and that's righteous. And because he does that, and he does it not in your energy, but in what he did at Calvary, what his son accomplished at Calvary, and he he gave us a new identity then. And what 6, 7, and 8 do then is come in and say, okay, now it's good time to live in that identity. And you know what you begin to learn in chapters 6, 7, and 8? That you're a dead man. Dead man walking. You're a dead man. You're dead to sin. Sin does not, sin no longer has its control and grief. Look, look back over there at chapter 6. I know it's not in the overhead, but I have the right to, and the reserve the right to remove, move along. Look at 6, 7. Look at 6, 7, Romans 6, verse 7. Now he that is dead is what? Freed. By the way, notice it's freed, F-R-E-E-D. That's past tense, it's done. Not free, ongoing, but what? Freed from sin. How are you? My uh, stepson, when he was alive, he died. The weeks before his death, he was in great agony physically. When he died, he was no longer in what? 
agony physically. He was what? Freed from the agony. What does death do? People say, oh, it's the stopping of all sensation. No, it's not. It sets you free. Now, free to spend eternity in hell if you're not in Christ, or free to be in the presence of the Lord. I would suggest presence of the Lord, okay? But you're free. So you learn in 6, 7, and 8 that you're dead. You're dead to sin. You're dead to the law. The law program doesn't have its, the works issues are taken care of. Chapter 8, you learn you're dead to the flesh. He comes in there and there's a circumcision made without hands and he cuts you away. And you begin to learn this identity and then you're alive to God. You're usable by God now. Then in chapters 9, 10, and 11, you know what you find out? You're not Israel. (laughs) Israel's got their own problems. By the way, their problems, same problems yours. They're sinners. They're unbelievers. They lack faith. And he says, but so, so you don't get, you're not that. That's them, they, and guess how they got to come? They got to come the same way you came to Calvary. But now in 12, what is he, 12 to 16, he says, okay, you see who you are? Now go, let's go live that way. And he begins in 12.1. What does he say? 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Think about that. The, what, isn't it merciful of him to die for your sins? And then to provide it as a free gift? That's a wonderful thing. That, what a merciful God he is. To do that, to say, this is what we're going to do. And then do it. That you present your bodies. Uh-oh, here we go. Whew. A living sacrifice. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said I'm a dead man. Well, you are, but now you're a living sacrifice. Now you're alive unto God. Now you're usable by God. So let's think about this. Here you are. There you go. All right? That's your head. Okay? You know where we're headed, right? Spirit, soul, and body. Here's your spirit. We've got to have an ear on each side. And here's your... Now, he's a big guy. I used to be a big guy. Uh, 60 pounds lighter now, so I'm, I guess I'm a thin guy. But here you are, okay? Here's your body. He says, present your, what? Body, a living sacrifice. We're talking about this guy. We're talking about this vehicle, this container of your spirit and your soul. That's the real you. That's, who, that's where your, your, your heart is. It has a will. There's a conscience. There's emotions. In your spirit, you have a mind. There's a thinking process that's to take place. And you're to present this guy a what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Notice that. You're you're to come in here now, and you are to take the very vehicle. Look over back at chapter 6. You're to take the very vehicle. Look at chapter 6, verse 13. And you're to do something in that vehicle, but you're going to do it from an understanding over here of who you are. 6.13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In our identity, in our position and who we are in Christ, what is our body? It's dead. It's been crucified. It's been set aside, that body of flesh. It's been dealt with. But he says, now let's take that. And he says, now let's go and do what? A living sacrifice. Now, let me ask you something. How does something that's dead become living? Up from the grave he arose. You see, we're talking about resurrection life. 12.1. A living sacrifice. You're to go and live in the resurrected life that you have in Christ. Now, in our reality, we're not there yet. It's going to happen, but in time, we're not. So in time, what are we to do? We're to go live as already resurrected. Did I lose you on that one? Oh, please don't let me lose you there because that's the wonderful thing of all of this. How do I? I'm living. I'm, what's my identity? Dead. But what? 
alive unto God. What did he promise me? Titus chapter 1, he said, God promised before the foundation of the world eternal life. How do I get eternal life if I'm going to die? What did he tell Abraham? You're going to die an old man, Abraham. Abraham, Hebrews 11, he died what? Not receiving, but seeing and believe. He gets it. Why? Because I get a resurrected life. So 12.1, I beseech you by the mercy, present your bodies a living sacrifice. How do I take something that's dead? God says this thing is dead. My identity says dead. Why? Because he gave me his life. So now I have his life that's going to come out and it's going to live in all of this out through that. There's the holy, acceptable. A living sacrifice, 12-1, what? Holy. That word holy, sanctified, set apart. How, what is there about you that's so holy? I mean, not the jeans. Can you believe they pay 40 bucks for jeans with holes in them? I was giving them away for free. I should have been selling them. Sorry, Michael. No, you put a patch on them, exactly. We've been watching the Waltons. You guys ever watch the Waltons? Oh, yeah, an old John boy, you got patches everywhere, well, you know. Holy. How in the world are you holy? Well, because I have his life now. And what am I to do with that life? I'm to go and live it, acceptable unto God. You see, folks, come over to Philippians 1. We're to take this vehicle. We're to take this body. And we're to turn it to that reasonable service. Notice it's reasonable. Reason. There's a thinking process to it. You know what it, the Lord says to Israel? Come nigh Israel and let's reason together. God is not a bad guy. Actually, he's a gentleman. He'll give you what you want. <laughs> if you want unbelief, he'll give it to you. You want belief, he'll give you that. But he's what? He's reasonable. I was talking to a man one time. He believed, this, this gentleman believed in reincarnation. And he thought that the God of the Bible was so unreasonable. So that was quite a conversation because if you get into the depths of reincarnation, that is very unreasonable. It's like, whoa, okay? So we're getting to talking, and I said, what is unreasonable about offering to mankind a free gift? But God commended his love toward us. What's unreasonable? And he had his excuse. God's reasonable. He's not going to look at you and say, now I would ask this, but I'll embarrass everybody. How many introverts do we have in the room? The room goes up, all right? He's not going to ask an introvert to go out and do something that an introvert personality is going to have trouble doing. That's unreasonable, if I can use such a generic. He's reasonable. What's his reason? You take my life and you go live it in your life. That's what you do. Where you're at. It's a thinking process. You got Philippians 1, right? Look at verse 20. So this issue here of presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service, it has to do with you taking your body and living his life out through your life, putting it on display. Look at Philippians 1, look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ, now watch, shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Notice what Paul just said there. I don't care what comes down the pike, what am I doing? Magnifying his life in my life. So he says, verse 21, for to me, in Paul's estimation, in Paul's mind, in Paul's thinking, for him to live was, is what? It's Christ. Paul says, I'm living here, I'm still alive, and I'm living for him. I'm having his life that I've put into here, 
my thinking. It's worked down into my soul. My heart's checked it. My will's checked it. My emotions are living by the will. And now I'm put it into my reservoir of my inner man. And it's his life that I'm now doing and living. You with me? And for me, for Paul, to live is what? Is to do that. It's to magnify his life in my life. And to die is what? Well, we knew that was coming. You know, many a times to just to be done with it, you know, it's okay, but you can't do that. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians. So the context of the first one anothering term and the context really of all of his one anothering language is the stuff we're looking at right here in, in verse 1 and 2. Here's the foundation. What are we doing? We're taking his life and we're putting it on display in our life, in our attitudes, in our discussions, in our language, in our talk, in our interaction with one another, with each other. 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the, now watch, the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Just in case you didn't know what he meant by body, he says mortal flesh. Duh. I mean, sometimes, I tell you what, people are stupid. I mean, they get in their way. Why? Because they go, oh, it doesn't mean body physically. It means body, spirit, mortifice. No, it means what? Body, flesh. What are you to do? You're to take this guy and you're to go to work. But you're going to go according to his life, his thinking. Come on over with me. Back to Romans 12. Romans 12. Which is your reasonable service? Again, here's your service. Your service to one another is to have that esteem, that lowliness of mind, that lowliness of mind, the very basic mindset. I showed you this last week. You You know what joy is? Jesus, others, and then you. There's that esteem. We live his life. We have an interaction with each other. We're going to, by love, serve one another. We'll look at Galatians. And then we're going to come in here. And so what are we constantly doing? We are constantly diving for the bottom. You're not up top. You're at the bottom. How do you get there, though? See, that's the point. That's the grip. Well, what does 12.2 say? And be not conformed to this world. Okay, what does the world say? Are you to be... Diving for the bottom, or are you to be on the top? You're to be on top. You are primo. You are your own God. You're the, you're the greatest thing since, well, the sliced bread. Catch me out. You're the primo. You're the potentate. You're the head guy. Better than the potentator. You know what happened to the potentator, don't you? He got eaten. Anyway, yeah, that's an inside joke. Sorry. Okay. What does the world say? Don't take his life. You go live your life. How are you doing with your life? How's your life going? When we talked about the the structure of you several months ago and a couple years ago, the devil works from the body, the soul, and the spirit. And that little guy called emotions runs the show. God says, no. Your spirit, your mind and your heart, and your will, tell, emotions are dumb, remember? That, there's a new movie out, I guess, called The Batman. Why not call it Batman? But anyway, The Batman. So one reviewer says it's garbage, don't waste your money. Another reviewer says it's the greatest thing since the original Jack Nicholson Batman, which I don't know how they can beat that one, but anyway. So, they, and I'm sitting here going, so what is this then? It's subjective to your emotion. Which one do you like? Who, this and that. Emotions are goofy. We're watching the Waltons the other day. I told you we watched the Waltons the other day. And 
oh, John boy, he's got to do this, and he's all this over here. And John, the dad, comes in and says, nope, we're doing this. And then mom comes in and says, oh, no, we're going to do this. And, and, and the next thing you know, you're sitting there going, John, you're just an idiot. Why don't you just do what the wife said to do? Get it over with, you know? And you're talking to a TV, to a show that was made 50 years ago or better, 60. What do you do? You got sucked right into it. What did, but that's your emotion. That's the Waltons. Think about that, you know. That's good TV. We're not talking about 911 Reno or whatever the stupid shows are. There's some stupid shows out there. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about the, the new stuff. Have you guys seen this show, Ghost? Okay, you're not missing nothing. No, 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 it's a show. Anyway, boy, I digressed quick there, didn't I? <laughs> Romans 12, 12. 12, 2, sorry. And be not conformed to this world. You see what the world does? The world gets you off of who you're supposed to be. It sucks you into something, into an area you're not supposed to be there. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed. In our topic of what we're going to be talking about in the one anotherings, how we treat and act towards each other, how we interact. And again, whether you're in the role of a husband and a wife or parents and kids or whatever, or just here in the local assembly, we're not to act like the world. We're not to be conformed to that. You know what the world says? Hear me, I'm a woman, and hear me roar. Roar. Okay. But what does God's word say? we got roles. It doesn't lessen the ladies, does it? No. It just says you've made a choice to be in this role. Here's the guidelines. I am man. You must do what I say. How's that working for you guys? No. You're the head of the house. Why? Because you're in a role. you got roles. See. What's... Ephesians 1, 3 say, if you're in Christ, what are you? You're blessed with all spiritual blessings. You know what? If you're in Christ, you got it all equally. Neither, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There isn't a gender thing when it comes to who you are in Christ. But we don't live there, do we? We live in a world, don't we? How do we interact with that? So be not conformed. You're to take that stuff and you're to throw it away. You're to say, you know what, this is who I am, and this is where I'm going to live, and I'm going to take his life in whatever position I'm in, and I'm going to go out and live that and do that. But the renewing of your mind, boy, when you renew something, what do you do with the old? You cast it away, don't you? you come, come over to 2 Corinthians 10. You throw it away. You see, you're to take that old, that worthless, no good thinking process and you're to jettison it and you're to not replace it. Have you ever replaced something? I have. Old, old truck, I got my 58 and it's breaking down and I go in and I work on it and I replace the component. But if I don't replace, I rebuilt the carburetor. Okay, a little single one barrel, no big deal. I break it down, I'm cleaning, I got it going, I'm putting it back together, I got four bolts left over. <laughs> that means trouble. You know what all I did? I slapped that on that old 235, cranked it over, that baby ran great. And I'm like, who needs the bolts? I get down the road, guess what happens? I needed the bolts. So I go back in, I break it back off. You know what I did? I replaced just a few things I didn't completely remove. So I get online, by the way, and the guy's like, oh, you need a four-barrel Harley carburetor. I'm like, uh-uh, I need a one-barrel to work. <laughs> Be not conformed, but, but what? Renew. You're going to take that old, and you're going to jettison it, and you're going to replace it with the new identity. Think about that. The old, it's worthless, it's no good, it's worn out. And you're going to replace it with, with the riches of who you are in Christ, with the wealth of who you are, of all, of all the sound doctrine of all that we have in Christ. 
2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Powerful verses here. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, okay? Now, when he says we walk in the flesh, he's talking about walking in this body right now in time. All right? We don't what? We do not war after the flesh. There's a war going on with who's in control of you, number one. Number two, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against a spiritual darkness and, and high places. So this is a big, big, big verse. Got to cover a lot of things here. What I want you to see is though we walk in the flesh, to the Corinthians, we don't what? War in the flesh. Why? Because that flesh has been deemed dead. Romans 6 has deaded it, killed it, crucified it. It's done. Now watch verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now notice that pulling down of strongholds. There's a stronghold that is in a component of your flesh that the adversary uses to mess with your life. And we call it the flesh. He's just walking in the flesh. It's there. It doesn't leave you until death. Death is what sets you, in your reality, free from it. But who are we in our reality? We're risen, we're in Christ, but it's still there. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Now let's stop there. Imaginations. That's human viewpoint. Human viewpoint is imaginations. And you are to take that human viewpoint and you are to cast it down. You're to get rid of the human viewpoint. You're to take it and you're to obliviate it. You're to remove it from your life, from your thinking. What is human viewpoint? Well, keep look at the verse. Casting down imaginations and what? Every high thing. What's Romans 1 say? When they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what did he do? He gave them up. They took the truth of God and turned it into a lie and served and worshipped the creature more than the creator. That's human viewpoint. Human viewpoint at its basis sort, its rudimentary issue is to take the creature and worship it and to deny the, cre the creator and to deny the truth of God. So every high thing, every proud and lofty, everything, think about this. We take God's knowledge, the knowledge and the viewpoint that comes from God. That's what sound doctrine is. And, and anything that comes up against that, that exalted itself against that, we are to take it and we are to throw it away. And we're never to allow it to enter into the equation. We're to cast it away. Notice how the verse says this. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. So what are we to do with human viewpoint? Get rid of it. Yeah, but Rick, that's easy. No, it's not. Read three chapters a day. You'll read your read Paul's epistles every day. You'll you'll real quick turn the stupid TV off. Turn off the internet. Unplug for a day. Good luck. See, you can you can you can do it if you what? Want to do it. By the way, if you the, the weapons for the weapons of our warfare. You ought to have written down there Ephesians 6, 12, that body of armor that we have. There's our weaponry. I got to keep going. And <laughs> verse 5, because here's the deal. And bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now notice that verse very carefully, the end of that verse very carefully. Bring into captivity. If you're going to bring something into captivity, what does captivity do? It does what? It totally controls it, contains it. 
You see that war in, in Ukraine going on over there? They're, they are wanting to bring into captivity Ukraine. What are they going to want to do? They want to control it. They want to own it. They want to run it. Okay? You're to take your thinking process. You are to take you, and you're to bring it into the control and the captivity of the life of Christ. That's what you're to do. And how you know that is the way the verse ends. To the obedience of Christ. Notice it doesn't say in obedience to Christ. That's how you read it. I know it because I hear you talk. We're to bring every thought into the obedience to Christ. It doesn't say that. It says the obedience of Christ. What was his obedience? Philippians 2. What did he do? Philippians 2 verse 8. What is his obedience? Because this is where you're thinking. See, we're not down here in the, in the gutter anymore. We're up here on a high plane. We're up here with the mind of Christ. We're, we got the deity, the Godhead thinking going on here in our lives. Look at 2.8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became what? Obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. What is the obedience of Christ? What did he do? God the Father said, son, here's the plan. You're going to go. You're going to die. You're going to have a ministry. We're going to do this. We're going to do A, B, C, and D. He says, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Can we do this now? He says, no, we've got to wait a little bit. And the time comes. When the time was appointed, boom, here it is. He's made of a woman, made under the law. And there he comes. And he goes to Calvary right on time. We've looked at this, folks. And he does it in complete and total obedience to the word of the Father to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? I'm not going to break the glass. I try. What does it say to you? Think about this. How are you to behave to one another? That's, how, that's what we're talking about. You don't have a, well, maybe I will or maybe. You don't get that choice. You are to do this. Why? Because what are we doing? 2 Corinthians 10, we're bringing everything into the obedience of Christ. And what was his obedience? To go to Calvary and to die for you and to become your Savior, to become your head, to become the Master of the universe, to come however you got to say that he is the potentate, he's the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the only potentate. He is the one that the preeminence of the Father, there he is. And he says, you are to have this in your life, in time, right now. It's your reasonable service. Yeah, but, Rick, do you see a yeah, but? There is no yeah, but. There's a yeah, but of unbelief because you don't want to do that because the moment you do that, you are no longer on the top. You are on the bottom. And what happens when we talk about the one anotherings and where it starts, Romans 12, it starts with an understanding of who you are in Christ and having that, his life be what's lived out in your life. No questions asked, no arguments. You just do what the verses tell you to do. Because his obedience was never to question the word of God. When he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is not a question of, hey, what are you doing? That is a question of, I understand what you're doing, and I'm okay with it. Because he says in Psalms 22, when he says that, he says, I am nothing, I'm not a man, I'm a worm. He knows what's happening. Why? Because the word of the Father is holding me was. And you and I have the audacity to come up and say, yeah, but you just don't know my circumstances. Really? Oh my goodness, what was his circumstances? He's ready to die. He's got the Romans beating the crud out of him. Sorry, a little an animated, sorry. Folks, this is the most frustrating thing that I see in Christians' lives is that they come along and they say, yeah, that's good for you, but not me. And that verse says, no, this is you. You're to bring into captivity every thought. Well, what about the ball game? Every thought. There'll be another game, yeah. By the... 
See, folks, we're talking here about something much deeper than just saying, hey, I love you, and giving a hug. It's much deeper. It gets down into the core. Now, go back to Romans 12, because we've got to finish. You're, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not yelling, even though I'm yelling, because this just, it just chaps my hide when this stuff comes up, because it's right there, and, well, I just don't want to do it. Because, no, you are to do this. When he says in Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. How did I said it two weeks ago. How does he forgive you? Totally and completely. Doesn't leave the hatchet buried half in to pull it out later and get you. Man, when we look at forgiveness, oh, I, you, you're gonna, the room will be empty that day because I'm going to nail some of you. Because the problem is, is we think forgiveness is just saying, I forgive you, and then pull it out later and chop you off at the knees. That ain't forgiveness. Sorry. That's envy and spite and anger and malice and bitterness because I was offended. He was offended and he died. Romans 12. We are to walk like he would. We're to think about each other the way he does. We're to bring everything into the, how did he respond? Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are we doing? We're taking in the doctrine. We're taking in that great pillar in Romans of the grace of God and who we are in Christ, and we're beginning to build in on it. And we're beginning to say, you know what? I want my life to act like and to be like his life, and I may struggle in areas. And you know what? Who doesn't? The only one that never struggled in any area was the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he he's sinless. <laughs> We all struggle. But when you struggle, what do you do then? You look at it and you say, okay, I'm struggling. Here's why I'm struggling. Here's what caused me to struggle. And you begin to think through the process. And then you say, I ain't never doing that again. And then what happens? Here you go again. Same thing. You know what insanity is, right? Repeating the same thing, thinking you're going to get a different conclusion. You know, crazy, you know, whatever it is. And what do you do? You say, no, I'm not going to do that. I get to this point. Last time I went that way, and it messed. this time I'm going to go this way. And this time I'm going to do something different. And that verse in Philippians 3 we looked at last time about attaining to the rule and holding the rule comes into play. And what we're going to be looking at moving forward and as we begin to consider this list of one anotherings, we're going to do it in the context here of taking our old way of thinking about things and throwing it away, casting it aside, and bringing this new way of thinking into, and bringing us into this understanding of who we are in Christ and how then that energizes us, how that motivates us to come over here and then live in our interaction with each other appropriately. So you start, 12.10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. So we'll talk about that. That's a wonderful passage. It's a wonderful thing to understand about brotherly love and what he's talking about there. And I know what happens. Philo, Philo love, Philadelphia, woo-hoo-hoo. And agape love, God's love. And oh, there's a, there's a third one too, I can't remember. But phileo and, and agape, you know what? That isn't in my English. What's in my English? Brotherly love. And there's a tenderness there in a brotherly love. That's why in Thessalonians he tells them, I told you how to do this, and I want you to abound even more and more in it. There's a thought process there. You come over to chapter 13 and 14 and 15. You work, there's an issue underlining it that we're to bring everything into captivity 
to who we are in Christ and what he's doing. And what's he doing? He's taking the word of God and applying it to every detail of life. He did it in his life, and you and I are to do it in our life. So as we move along this path, walking toward one another, I'd encourage you to read these passages. Look at them. You're reading three chapters a day anyway. Mark them. When he says, greet one another with a holy kiss, there's more to it than giving them a smooch on the, on the cheek or shaking their hand. Much more to it than that. There's a tenderness there of care. There's a tenderness there of, hey, <laughs> we're like-minded. There's a tenderness there of, hey, I miss you, I've missed you, and I'm glad to see you. There's a tenderness there. That's what a kiss is. It's tender. It's much more than just saying, mm, 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 how you doing, buddy? You know, It's much more than a cultural thing. You know why, the, you know why they say it's a cultural thing? Because they don't understand what's going on in the verse. It's a cop-out. They read a handbook somewhere. See, There's something tender going on there. Why? Because we're here. We're in his thinking. We're not in human viewpoint. You know what human viewpoint is? You kiss me and I'm going to knock you into next week, man. Human viewpoint is, I didn't miss you. you, what, do you mean? what about me did you miss? That's human viewpoint. You understand that. Okay? I'm trying to get my heart rate down. You have to understand, folks, this, this stuff strikes deep. Because this is who you and I are to be with one another. Now you go out in the world... A little different stranglehold out there, okay? But, but in Romans 12, he deals with them too. And he, Romans 13 deals with that. Why? Because there's an answer. There's a way. There's a way to have the mind of Christ operating in every aspect of life. As we go through this and as we look at them, this is the context, Romans 12, 1 and 2, of all of the one anotherings. sits right here. And because of that, we need to adjust our thinking that we have with each other. Husbands and wives, instead of getting, give. Instead of giving, get. get. You've got this interaction that's got to take place. And I'll be honest with you, the most natural place for this to work is in a marriage and in the family. Because you're with each other all the time. Oh my goodness. And takes a lot of grace, especially with you. And you just work that through, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we can get from it, for the instructions in it. And Lord, I pray that they would just take it to heart, that we would take it to heart, learn it, come to understand it, and then apply it to every detail of our life. As we go about in this wicked and evil and wicked world, understanding who we are and living that way and manifesting your life. All for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll stay.